after doing all that stinker time in jail, uh, I'm still suffer PTSD. I we'll know what that is. Street Paulani's Paulani, Holani, Wairani. My name's Dennis, but I'm called Debbie. Patched gang members are the last people you'd think would open up with stories of their troubled upbringings. But in a meeting room in South Auckland last week, they were sharing their darkest secrets. And for some, it was for the first time. We all know. We all know what it was like. We all know what it done to us. We all know the effects of it. Because the effects of that bush that they, they, they cared for us, we are living it today. You know, we all went down those dark corridors. We still are going down those dark corridors. They're contributing members of society. Well, that society, that's the society that put me in, into care, state care. They were speaking out in a room full of patches, not just of their own gang, but many others Black Power, King Cobra, Mongrel Mob, and more. Because I'm really thankful, personally thankful for all those Anatidas and Aurekis amongst your own locals that came along into the court. This is something that's very rare. Perhaps it's probably the first time it's ever happened. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on The Detail, the gangs have their say at the Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and Care. We look at the connection between state care and gang life with two people who helped organise the hearing and spoke at it, Criddles Roberts and Paul Pulitaha. Criddles heads Waitakere Rotary Club and together they run the charity Unity in Our Community, helping people in need. So you invited me along to this hearing last Monday and, you know, when I drove in there, I was just blown away by what I saw in the driveway there and then when I walked into that big conference room. It's, it's a world that I'm so unfamiliar with. So tell me, why were you there? Well, I'm a retired member in the uh, King Cobra family. Raised up in Ponsonby, around the Polynesian and Panthers. I've been a King Cobra for 45 years. I joined when I was 13. It was a common ground for a lot of other kids. So for myself and Criddles, it was about uh, giving our voice for our families, for ourselves personally, but for our families that went through a lot of things. One time we were all locked up. I was in Mount Eden Prison. My sister was in Auckland Hospital down at the mental health unit, which is a lock-up unit. And my mum was in, locked up at the Auckland Hospital unit behind. Even for us on that day, it was pretty overwhelming to see everyone. We didn't expect that. The, the venue, you know, good on uh, Royal Commission, uh, all those guys that turned up. I wasn't going to come. I tried to talk my own friend, come, oh, it's still angry, so. We didn't expect that as well, you know, so it was nice to see and be a part of it. We were just concentrating on saying what we wanted to say, you know, and it's very traumatic on my mum's stuff. The biggest thing for me is my mum's voice. It's been decades in the mental health institutions. I just thought she was unwell. I learned that wasn't a nice place. The medication, good people in there doing good things, but a lot of bad people doing a lot of bad things. So I acknowledge her voice, Venezuela, Pulita. And Quiddle's um, 
Whangai adoption and her siblings? Uh, my mum, Marama Roberts, was Whangai by her nana, Lipekapapu, and raised in Mount Roscoe. Uh, she was a strong, hard-working wahine tour. She passed away at 36. Uh, my two brothers went to Oaraka Boys' Home. One of my brothers <clears throat> committed suicide at age 16. He was buried with my mum <clears throat> in Matangira, in Matangs. To relive all that and to talk about it in public is very, very um, draining and traumatic, still reeling from that. And probably many others in and around that day, or those that heard about it or uh, watched it and sort of relived their own past. So it was important for us to just pass on that information. That's where a lot of us have come from. This is probably why you've got a lot of problems in society now. How do you get different gang members to come along to something, to agree to come to something like that? Well, myself and Paito down, uh, down in the kingdom, we've known a lot of people over the last 40 years, done a lot of time with them. So we're able to approach and ask and express what's going on. It's um, The gang community, it's, um, it's a very big, divided world. So... They all have their, their views on uh, um, what they would like to talk about and not talk about. Like I said, it's a world of no comment. So expressing ourselves in this way is uh, very unusual. Uh, it's very important to have a voice. That's what I've learned. I come from a world of no comment. You don't speak, especially to the system. All the interviews, no comment, no comment. So for us to be here today to speak, it's really hard. So I give um, great respects to you. I think they understood that uh, a lot of people they knew, uh, maybe some of their members, some of their families, are all affected by this one way or another. So they weren't against it. So some just stayed back and watched what happened. A lot of people uh, um, got back to me and uh, from different gangs to express their views, say, good on you, bro, that was good. That to us was the main thing, was important. Our families, our relatives, our friends reaching out. Give a voice on something that um, billions of dollars have been spent on. It's always on the news. You know, that, that was part of the Royal Commission that day for us. We're not expecting uh, things to be, you know, uh, um, so much better all of a sudden. Mm. But you've got to start somewhere. We're not after sympathy. We don't want any pity. We've lived this lifestyle. We just want to be part of the solution. What was it like, though, to stand up there in front of all those people and, and to reveal so much about your lives? Like for myself personally, there's a lot of OGs there, being original gangsters, just people that have been in that community a long time, so you sort of understand where they've come from and that part of the history. And I just give... Um, a blessing and a shout-out to uh, one of the guys that was there on the day, Jigger Masters. He passed away. A lot of these OGs there, to have them there uh, signified that they um, respected what we were doing. Generations of uh, migrant families coming in. Our leaders were the young brothers in those King Cobras. All the older brothers came from the islands. 
they had strong island values. Some of their leaders couldn't assimilate, couldn't get through the schooling. The parents in the church saying you're failing, and the school saying you're failing. They end up becoming leaders to kids like us, because we were lost. You know, these guys, uh, a lot of jail, were hard men. You understand why they were hard men, where they come from. And there were a lot of those guys in the room. So if they use the analogy of your world in the media and you see some of these old-school media journalists sitting in there nodding their head, that really means a lot to you. You know, and that's what it was for us. A lot of these guys saying, thank you, I, I couldn't do it, but good on you for doing it. You know, and there was um, the son Loko. I'm um, third generation state ward. Um, my grandma went through all the, the mental institutions, and <coughs> my dad went through jail and that. Uh, I was fortunate to go through all of them. There was Tingi Ness. For those of us that came after the Second World War as children, of the first Pacific Island migrants to this country. We are grateful for the aroha shown to us. Uh, Mune and Mark Smith, we stood up there together because we all came from the Ainga and the, and the King Cobra family, which are early migrant families in Ponsonby, who were part of uh, shaping and looking after the Polynesian Panthers. They were only allowed to develop because the King Cobra Paramount chief or the boss at the time, Nari, allowed it and protected them and believed what they were doing because it was very funny times back then for a lot of different groups vying for positions for whatever reason. And you had this sort of a militant-looking group saying this and that and wearing certain clothes. It was threatening to other gangs, but they were protected by the King Cobras, and that was through Nari. That's in the docos. You'll see that. Criddles, do you think that could be the start of something for your own family? You, you speaking out and and telling your story. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of healing that needs to take place for them as well. Because they can only um, act with whatever data they have or the tools that they have. You know. From what I saw from the hearing, there was, a, you know, a lot of heartfelt stuff. I was born in 1971 in the Kaikoi Hospital. Uh, I was born out of wedlock place. My parents, who I found out 45 years later, were workers in Moedua Freezing Works. And uh, I was given to the nuns, the nunni. A few funny bits that I saw. Pocket mm-hmm. The wrongs I can think I can make right. I'll just sing a little bit of it. Rob Stewart too. I don't wanna talk about it. Hey, you broke my heart. Uh, a lot of anger. And then I went off to this thing called Stripes. Jack or no? Uh, stripes is Waikiria. It's where you get in like sheep, you chucked in the bloody thing, shaved your hair off, and that's where I first started to go, yes sir, no sir. And we were ordered to see that. And we weren't, we were charged, or whipped. True story. Stripes, it's called. Austin. You know, these are the people who have willingly stood up and talked. Mm-hmm. So what about those who just go, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing it? I reached out to families and friends and, 
you know, it was difficult for them. I've got an uncle out there out south, 67. So he's, um, he says, I'm fine. What happens, happen. I've got a free bus pass. I'm all good. You know, and I said, well, they, they weren't allowed to do that. Your mum had 11 siblings. How long did they take you away for? And he goes, oh, I was 10, maybe 15, 16. I said, that's a life sentence back in the old days. You did seven years and started going to parole board. That's what they were doing to the kids, taking them away for two, three, four, five, six, seven years. At, a, at a, such an age, they're, they're extremely well damaged. And they just put them back in our society and you wonder, what's wrong with these guys? You know, but my uncle, he went, proud of him. And his first time his family had heard anything like that. They just never knew. And that's 90% of the people. They don't talk about it. But um, we read about it. It's affecting us today. So we're just saying, let's have a better look at this. Let's see if we can spend money in a better place to get um, better results. Because if it was the All Blacks, you, you couldn't lose three games, four games in a row. <laughs> be up in arms. Everyone would be sacked. What, what do you say to people who say, well, gangs are just, just a scourge, really? They do the drug dealing, you know, they commit so much crime. How do you respond to that? Um, well, not all gang members are criminals, not all criminals are gang members. I mean, if you know, you know. You know it's kind of unfair to do that when there's been white-collar business people that take all the old people's money, invest it, and, oh, sorry about it, lost it. I know, but when you see those guys with their, you know, their jackets and their patches and... I agree with you, Sharon. It's intimidating. Mm. It is what it is. So how do you get it in a better place? You have to work together. You've got to have communication. This generation of gangs needs the next generation. What efforts go into preventing that? You can't say don't join a gang. You might as well say don't commit a crime. Isn't that easier? You know, you've got to put common sense to the solution. You can't make a law to fix it. You can't have, with the police stuff, that, like cobalt and that, they only can do so much. They're after, they're the clean-up. We're after prevention, and that's education. And that's with the young, the young kids, you know, and the kids that are uh, starting uh, uh, juvies, starting to get into the system. Mm. You've got to work on all those kids, and you can prevent a hell of a lot of stuff for the next five, ten years. You said that you were in a gang for, uh, what, from the age of 13? 13. A- and would you still say that you are part of a gang? The mindset, the, the psychology of it in, in the sense of the day-to-day is different. I work in with the unity in the community. That's, that's who I am today. That's what we do. I'm still part of the King Cobra family. That's been a part of my upbringing and culture, friends and brotherhood. So it's not something like, oh, OK, I've walked away from that. I'm, you know, but um, what we do is different. It's something that we enjoy. It gets good rewards. But I'm also close with a lot of the other groups. If we want to help within, you have to be. But Otherwise, how do you... It's the criminal stuff, isn't it? That, that's trauma as well. That's years and years of trauma. That has been part of us. That's all it has been. We haven't separated it. We haven't put it in the shelf and said, oh, this is a trauma that I'll deal with later. It's just, boom. We're just working with it. We're living with it. We're doing crimes with it. We're beating other people up. We're using violence. These are all the things the state taught us. You know, a lot of people that haven't been through 
certain trauma for almost all their life, you know. It's difficult to understand. Um, but, yeah, if, I mean, that's that's why we're doing this. You know, we have we have people like Safe Man, Safe Family. They, um, you know, they counsel the men, all the, you know, violence and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I mean. We, we need all our, our people to help our people. We, we understand, we feel, because we're, we're from the same place. It's good for our well-being, all our charity work. We just love doing it. It's just like breathing. I'm not too sure how, how else to explain it. The gang community, it is what it is because part of it was created by the state system that didn't work. didn't work out too good. It's still a problem now, so how can we make it better? Like Oranga Tamariki, how can we make it better? And you have to include the community where they came from. And you said that the system has done its bit for creating these gangs. In what way? The hearings highlighted that state ward, a system of taking care of young kids for whatever reason, um, coming from troubled homes, um, wasn't exactly accurate a lot of the times. So the child might be going through truancy or playing up. Uh, parents might have a bit of mental health or one of them might have been shoplifting or whatever reason they had the system, they made it that we can take your child away from you for many years and put them in state care, a better home. And uh, those homes, as we're finding out, were extremely violent, uh, lacking any love and care. Uh, A lot of good people in there doing good things with the kids in, in a good way but also a lot of bad people doing bad things. And with all the complaints that went through, it was never followed through, which was just as bad. So now you've got a large group of these people coming out into society, very, very damaged. Lacking empathy is one of the key things and extremely violent behaviours. I grew up with these kids. I did jail with them. You know, I look back now and say, now, you know, that's why they were like that. Extremely loving guys, but and get on the wrong side or something happens and, and uh, the violence, it just comes out. So they learnt all that. That's what the Royal Commission was about, to hear. That's what we did that day. And we, like we said, we don't want to make excuses and feel sorry for us or me or, or, or Quiddles. We, we're part of the uh, getting things in a better place. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, gangs were always going to be part of this this country, Aotearoa, whether we like it or not, and we should work with them. On that topic with the gangs, you've got uh, a whole lot of kids in institutions under the age of 16. A lot of kids are having problems at school between the ages of 5 and 10. Concentrate a lot of effort in that area. Then your next generations is going to be hard to choose from because a lot of them be educated and be in a better place and say, hey, maybe gangs is not for me today. As for trying to say, oh, we're going to stop the gangs or change it, I don't think you can. Mm. Maybe 20, 30 years from now, but um, for this present time, you need to create some healing for those that choose to. That's going to help everyone. We're the new kids on the block. We're just doing our thing out west, you know. We're trying to heal, uh, educate our children, uh, keep our family uh, in a good place, uh, trying to be good leaders. We're just part of the 
moving forward, getting in a better place? To be honest, the first time I heard I love you so much was within the gangs. I love you, brother. I love you. I love you. That word wasn't used a lot growing up. I watch growing men tell each other, love you, brother. Much love and respects. Put love in there. Like, you know, my partner said, kindness. You know, he... I knew his mum. She was extremely kind. I couldn't get my head around it. All our community groups, Safe Man, Safe Family, I mean, all of them, we're all putting in our, our aroha and our time and our skills to reset the mindset, to heal the mamai, because you've got to do all the foundations first. And only we know because we've, we're from that world. And you're, you are working with the police to try and tackle the problems? We have uh, engaged with the, uh, the gang unit out South Auckland, um, working together like, on the uh, gang funerals, etc., on licences, just generally trying to have good communication in areas that they don't. And that's also with some other um, departments that come and get advice from us about certain things. Like in the prisons, you, you need um, more art classes. If you give worry, for an example, it's... I think maybe 15 people, maybe more out of a 1,000 might go to an art class so many times a week. And art is the most therapeutic thing in India as well as culture and uh, sports and uh, family visits. The four things that are extremely limited at times. And what are you saying? That everybody should be able to do, well, go to art class if they want to? Try, try and make it triple it, quadruple it. Try to get everybody into it, you know. You've really been punished when you're extracted uh, from wherever you live into a prison. So now that's your world, be it six months or six years. So what are you going to do with that individual? What are you going to do with him? And it's usually whatever goes on is a hundred times worse. So that person just comes back out of society. He's another headache again. But he's been living with some people for six years. Of course you've got to have punishment, but add the healing part to it, it's going to do us all a lot better in society, a hell of a lot better. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by Public Interest Journalism. Today's episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman and our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Criddles Roberts and Paul Pulitaha. Mā te wā.